Good day and welcome to our Experts in Industry series. I'm David Poirier, the CEO of the Poirier Group. Today we're joined by Caroline Papadatos, the former Senior Vice President of Loyalty and Marketing Leader at Loyalty One. Caroline has experienced sales and marketing executive. She's recognized as a leading expert in designing transformative customer loyalty solutions for global companies. She has held leadership positions in diverse sectors, including retail, telecom, and publishing. In Caroline's most recent position as Senior Vice President at Loyalty One, she led the company's global consulting practice, international alliances, and corporate marketing for all of Loyalty One companies. Caroline's a frequent speaker and advisor on loyalty and customer management. She's been a board member and committee chair for the Canadian Marketing Association and was recognized with an Honorary Lifetime Member Award for contributions to marketing in Canada. Caroline, welcome to the Poirier Group and, and our series here. Thank you so much for joining us. And you, your experience is in loyalty as well as uh, in customer management. So let's start with, uh, with customer loyalty. You know, on one hand, many people are saying, you know, loyalty has run its course. It's getting a little old and tired. It's, it's time to uh, move away from that because it's outdated or irrelevant for today's customer. But on the other hand, we're seeing new loyalty programs coming out revamping or relaunching of loyalty programs. So in your mind uh, or in your view, what's the state of the loyalty industry and, and where do you think it's headed? You know, it's a great question because it is probably the question I get the most often. Isn't, isn't loyalty a thing of the past? Isn't that what, you know, my parents used to do? Uh, you know, now in a digital age, uh, does it really even make sense? But, but the fact is we did a study and I guess ended in 2018, published in 2019, uh, called it Loyalty Big Picture, and we looked at loyalty in five global regions. Um, and we were really fascinated to do the math and figure out what is the size, the total size of this business, and how does it break down? And what we discovered, and that was you know a few years ago, it was about a $325 billion business globally. Um, and that kind of breaks down as 75 billion of that would just be loyalty programs. And then you think another close to 50 billion in the tech platforms that support incentivizing and motivating your customers. It was probably another 50 billion in CRM, which I think is understated. That market's probably significantly larger, uh, but it, it would encompass sort of customer management in general. And then 150 billion, again, I think that, that number might also be un understated in all things related to customer engagement. And you know that word engagement is used. You could call it stickiness, you could call it loyalty, you could call it engagement or activation, um, but that would include everything from digital uh, to you know, customer experience and, and those types of efforts. So when you, if you think about loyalty as the means by which you attract a customer, lift their spend and retain them. Um, you know, loyalty as a business is alive and well. Um, and I, I hesitate to think of it just as points programs because points are really just a tactic in, in the greater scheme of loyalty. Um, and you're right, you see new programs launching every day uh, and they're not just from established players. Uh, but if you look at subscription platforms and I'm doing a lot of advisory work there now with, with smaller, smaller launching uh, startups, um, subscription platforms on B2C, Lyft and Uber is another great example. CPGs are getting into customer loyalty. 
uh, and B2B platforms, all with the idea of sort of encouraging customer renewals because a subscription platform, it's great to, you know, get great signups, but we all know that, you know, nine out of 10 people are taking that app off their phone within 90 days. Um, so how do you retain and activate those customers over time and, and used wisely and precisely, uh, loyalty rewards can be highly effective in driving that engagement. Um, and I'd say actually on the consulting side, most of my business is, is in rethinking programs. So it's not even launching new programs because you'd be hard pressed to find businesses that don't already have something in place. But I'm sort of in the renovation business. Most of my clients look at their program five, five years later and the program has become outdated. It no longer is relevant to you know, the younger generation of digital natives. Um, there's no clear return on investment or it can't be measured. The last six months has certainly changed things for a lot of businesses, and we've heard uh, many different perspectives uh, on that. But how does loyalty change for program operators uh, as a result of, of COVID-19? And how is it going to change uh, as we evolve out of this, whenever that may be? It's, it's hard to group all operators under one umbrella. I would say that the response from operators has been spotty. Um, you know, some programs did very well in responding to COVID, although it took some a few weeks and others a few months to figure out what the new normal was. Uh, and even my own experience, I had, I was supposed to be speaking at a conference in, uh, in um, Poland, and I had all sorts of travel booked. And, you know, the first response was, even though it was, I had booked under rates and fares at hotels that, that wouldn't allow me to, uh, uh, to cancel. Uh, that, that story changed, you know, a month later. And then it was, go right ahead, you can cancel. Obviously, I'm, I'm a fairly premium uh, traveler. So uh, I think they wanted to retain my business. But it did, I do think that brands just generally um, needed a few weeks to recalibrate some some faster than others, but programs like Starbucks really dialed up their click and collect and touchless payment. They, they were fast out of the gate. I think airline and hotel programs figured out they needed to extend status. They quickly did the math um, and extending status for, you know, certainly for your highest value members is critical. Um, and they also changed their redemption focus from flight to merchandise because redemption is still a moneymaker for them. Uh, and realizing that nobody is going to redeem for a flight, uh, certainly not this year, or a few people will, um, they really dialed up their, their merchandise rewards or gift cards uh, to be able to spread the love locally. Uh, beyond that, I'd say some programs took advantage of the fact that uh, loyalty gave them direct communication channels to customers, and they used those less to reward customers, so points communications, and more to let customers know their safety plans which is uh, obviously a good thing to do. Um, and some even thought ahead to things like notifying you when toilet paper was back in stock. So why not? It's a necessary item. And people appreciate now the fact that you do have their contact information uh, and you're using it to better their lives. Uh, and I'd say finally, in terms of what's going to happen going forward with COVID, I'd say commercially, I think the biggest change is that operators, especially grocers, um, you know, they're, they're going to have to move their operations online in a significant way. 
Uh, I don't, I think some customers will go back into store, but many will still continue to parcel out a good chunk of their purchasing online. Um, but they also, I would say, grocers had to change the way they use promotions. You know, if you think about Loblaw or Sobeys, uh, when food was flying off the shelf, you didn't need points promotions to get people to buy more. Uh, so you needed to shift the strategy to incentivizing things like trial of food delivery or bulk purchasing, getting people to consolidate their basket with one or two operators. Um, but I think at the end of the day, good loyalty programs have always been designed to read the data gather insights about customers and deliver relevant products and individualized messaging. I don't think any of that is going to change. That, that was true before COVID, will be true after COVID. Um, but I think what will probably happen is COVID will ac accentuate the, the difference between the winners and the losers in loyalty and those who use their programs effectively to personalize and individualize are going to be the winners. And, uh I've also heard a lot of conversations by uh, our clients and other people in the retail industry and, and some in the uh, consumer goods industry that, um, you know, as you mentioned before, things were flying off, off the shelf uh, and it didn't take very much talent to, to uh, sell toilet paper four months ago. Um, and so I, I've heard a lot of questions about, you know, what is the value of uh, loyalty programs? And so uh, to simplify it, how should you measure loyalty program success? David, you're absolutely right. It's funny, more than half the clients I'm brought into cannot quantify the value they get. They know they need a program because their competitors have one, but they couldn't pinpoint how much to invest um, they struggle to measure the impact on customers or even on a segment of customers like their best customers, uh, which means that they can never really optimize the investments. At the end of the day, you, you, you don't want a growing investment in your portfolio that you can't quantify. Um, so to answer your question, if you get down to basics, if I were an operator, I'd ask myself four questions. Did I get more customers as a result of my loyalty program? Um, did they spend more? Was I able to lift their spend either in basket size or in frequency? Uh, did they stay longer? So reducing my churn problem. Uh, and finally, I'd say from a cost optimization perspective, is loyalty more effective than other investments? So if I only have a, you know, $100 to spend, am I better spending it in loyalty because I get a better return? Or am I better spending it in digital or service or more staffing? Um, I think if you ask yourself those four questions, rather than trying to prescribe a specific way to measure it, um, that's probably the best way to assess whether it's working for you. Thank you. And so let's, let's move on to CRM. I think CRM is on every CEO's agenda, uh, no matter what the size of the organization is, and frankly, what the industry is. Um, and companies have spent millions on this, some well, some not so well. What sectors are doing well you, from your perspective and what are the few success factors that, that you look for? Well, I'd, I'd start with grocery. Grocery is sort of the, the, uh, one of the favorites for loyalty operators um, for a number of reasons. One is they have high customer penetration. So a good grocery program will have 60 to 90% customer penetration, which ultimately means a lot of data. Uh, and that data 
when used uh, in a disciplined way to drive personalization, both of product and communications, uh, when that data is used predictively uh, to anticipate what that customer's next gonna buy or next gonna need in terms of services. Um, grocers continue to do that very well, usually supported by a, a loyalty infrastructure. Um, so I'd say grocery does it very well and it's because of that penetration, that highly predictive data, and then the use of analytic modeling and now AI uh, to be targeted. And, and I think they're especially commendable because they're a low margin business. So they, they need to, to use it uh, in a highly intelligent way to, to be able to derive you know, fractions of points of margin uh, and profitability Beyond that, it's AR Canada is a great example, just very topical, very current. They're rethinking their program. It launched uh, in August um, and they're rethinking to make sense to the airline and their best customers. And they really engaged their customers in co-creation. I think thousands of customers were involved in voicing uh, what they'd like to see out of the program. Um, so I think they're, they're best in class. And I, as I said previously, I've lived my life on planes for the last 10 years, and I still come home and say Air Canada is one of the best, uh, not just because of their loyalty program, but obviously their experience. Um, I'd say banks are hit and miss. Credit card is transactional, uh, and there's data associated with it, but they're not perhaps as aggressive and creative in terms of the way that they use the data to incentivize customers and motivate them and engage them. And as we know, bank services are not all working. You, can, you may be able to motivate somebody on getting a, a loan, but you may not be able to motivate somebody on getting a mortgage. And so banks would do well if they did more testing and learning um, and were a little more agile in the way that they tested. Hospitality is a great sector, but I, wouldn't, I would go to each of these sectors for something different. I'd say hospitality is great because they're deep on customer experience and every other sector could learn from what hospitality knows <clears throat> about designing an experience for their best customers and, and measuring it. And I'd say the last area that's interesting, I think, in, this, in these sectors is the emerging ones. IoT is now becoming a hot sector for loyalty and motivation. Uh, and as a result of that, governments are getting involved um, in determining where are they going to create value for citizens, but also reward them for socially conscious behaviors? Very interesting dynamic that's emerging. Insurance is another area. And we saw some, some fantastic programs coming out of South Africa 10 years ago. And those are now, now been picked up around the world, incentivizing healthy behaviors, incentivizing uh, driving more slowly. That's a whole program that's happening in Turkey and it's being subsidized by both fuel companies, insurance companies, and the government. Um, but CPG, we're seeing more and more brands going direct to consumer. We're going to see a lot of loyalty, despite the fact that both Coke and Pepsi have launched and failed two or three programs each. Uh, I think it's still going to be a hot area for, for loyalty and it's a, it's a space to watch. Uh, and the one I'm probably most worried about is malls. Uh, so malls and airports are trying to incentivize customers, but they really don't have that direct, direct relationship that the retailer does. Um, so that's, an, that's a creative space to watch also, whether I want to have a relationship with the mall or the retailer in the mall.
In addition to the industries that you spoke about, uh, customer experience seems to be on the top of every executive team's uh, agenda. It's uh, increasingly a part of executive compensation, not just for those people on the sales and marketing side, but for the entire executive team in, in uh, many cases. No two companies define or manage customer experience in the same way. So what's your perspective on how companies are managing customer experience? You know, David, I, I should probably start by declaring my bias. I sort of have a love-hate love relationship with customer experience. I mean, I believe it's fundamental to how companies should be managing their customers, but it's such a definitional problem. No two companies define it the same way, nor do they mean the same thing when they say, I'm investing in customer experience, or I've changed the customer experience or I've redesigned the customer experience. And so maybe the, the best way to think about it is there's sort of four buckets in the way that companies think about it. The first and probably the largest bucket of companies is, is people who believe that customer experience is really about customer fixers. So they see it as an extension of good customer service or some of all the brand interactions. The work there is focused on examining processes and finding pain points to fix and systematically going after each touch point that's problematic and fixing it. Um, those companies usually measure against net promoter score and hopefully they can derive a reduced cost to service over time from having fixed this pain. Um, and they're really just more focused on analyzing touch points where the experiences break down. Although we are seeing some of them move to analyzing journeys, the entirety of the journey, not just the touch point. Uh, but it's really a very heavy operational lens on customer experience. And, and I would say, I just had a conversation actually last week with, with a major telco, and they confirmed for me that that is still where all of their time and effort is going. Uh, and telcos often have a lot of work to do in operational customer experience and fixing pain. The next big bucket, I'd say, although somewhat smaller, is cross-channel enablers. And we're definitely seeing those folks in retail. And they're really focused on unified customer experience across mobile, website, app, in-store. And retailers have been struggling with that for years, how to create an omni-channel experience, how to seamlessly go from online to offline uh, and use each channel most effectively to deliver information to the customer so that they will make a purchase and not be prejudicial about where that customer decides to make a purchase, whether it's online or online, uh, offline or mobile. Uh, the goal here is really to better manage end-to-end -end customer communications and experiences. And those companies are very tuned to the threat of e-commerce uh, uh, and the disruptors and the advantage that an Amazon has because they have already um, a long history and discipline of analyzing every touch point. And so they're sort of miles ahead of them uh, to integrate store and web seamlessly. Although I, I will say that now that Amazon in Canada with Whole Foods is now trying to reverse engineer experiences from their digital experience into their store experience, it, it, it doesn't feel at all like it does in the US. So my sense is there's some work being done there um, in the opposite direction. The third, and again, smaller group, I think are customer centricity champions. Here CX is really the full expression of customer personalization. These companies invest in capturing data and integrating customer transactional insights from social and mobile to improve 
the end-to-end -end customer experience. Um, there we'll be looking at high value, potential value, behavioral, attitudinal segments. Say Loblaw is doing that very well, as is Shoppers Drug Mart and Sobeys, some, some of the heavy hitters in, uh, in loyalty CRM. They're finding the customer's unmet needs and anticipating and hopefully exceeding shopper expectations uh, in that way. Um, but that's a smaller group. And then the, the smallest group uh, are those who I'd say are chasing after customer wow. Um, and the, the companies that'll spring to mind, you'll recognize Disney or Apple. Uh, and they view customer experience as user experience, digital design, product development. Uh, and they're very exploratory. They're looking at new territories, emotion and memory, non-traditional research methods. They're very iterative in the way that they go about it. Um, and they're really aiming to delight through mind-blowing, sort of unexpectedly satisfying experiences. Uh, unfortunately for us, the customer, there are very few of those. Uh, and most of the companies that we are, we are engaged with today are still trying to fix pain. And hopefully, actually, in my conversations with those CMOs, it's often a, a question of, let me fix the pain and then I'll get to the wow. And my advice back to them is, you'll never end fixing the pain, so you better do a bit of pain and a bit of wow, or you'll never get there. Does any of that change after COVID? David, I'm not sure that it does. But I would add two elements that I think now will definitely come to the forefront. And I think one of those is health and safety. Um, and so that needs to be built into the experience to, to build trust. Uh, and the second one is empathy. So recognizing the need for more understanding, flexibility, listening more. There was a huge rush in customer experience to automate and optimize cost. I think companies are going to have to reintroduce empathy and empathy is often delivered by a human. Uh, so they're going to have to figure out how to sound more empathetic, but actually bring some flexibility to their processes as people are hurting. And after the explosion that we've seen of uh, online ordering during COVID, both for you know, uh, consumer and, and B2B customers as well, um, some especially well-known uh, brands um, have, have really embraced the direct-to-consumer, direct-to-customer. And so let's talk a little bit about that. And we also hear the demise in the department stores, of course, and, and the malls, the indoor malls. Um, so it makes sense for brands like cosmetics and housewares and other consumer uh, packaged goods to, uh, to go direct. Um, but what about grocery? Yeah, I think grocery is an interesting one. They will go as fast as they can. And, and they've certainly accelerated during, during COVID. Uh, but, you know, Sobeys as an example and Loblaw already had those, those strategies in place. Um, and I think they're delivering uh, and ready. I think where the change is gonna be in, is in direct to consumer. Uh, the argument has always been, nobody can bring 15,000 SKUs better to the customer than a grocer. Um, and nobody wants a relationship with their ketchup and their mustard and their cereal. Uh, but there is a growing appetite amongst consumer brands uh, in the grocery sector to build a direct relationship, partly for consumer research, uh, partly to stay closer to the customer because grocers are using that data 
to create their own in-house brands and slowly pushing CPGs out on their most popular SKUs. And I never in my long career have I seen such an appetite from uh, consumer brands to build a direct-to-consumer relationship. And I think we're going to see a new wave of those probably in partnership with one another, there'll be some sort of, maybe there'll be a burger partnership, I'm joking, but uh, we'll see brands come together as opposed to perhaps try and go it alone and, and build an individual customer relationship. But uh, I'm, I'm fascinated to see what's coming. Uh, final question. Uh, you do a lot of work with startups, uh, subscription businesses and customer platforms. Um, how can they benefit from loyalty or CRM? It's been interesting learning because in my long career in retail and customer management and loyalty, I've always been in customer centric businesses. And then my stint in telco really opened my eyes to product driven businesses. Um, and I see that in a lot of the newly emerging startups and they're wired for build it and they will come uh, and they will acquire a lot of customers but not entirely set up to grow, the, grow those customers over time, build an active uh, frequency for using the product um, and renewing those customers, getting referrals from, from those customers. And that's such an interesting space. I think the principles of loyalty will apply and probably most of my conversations with them comes down to loyalty needs to be used as a very strategic tactic here and there. It's not something that you offer throughout the customer journey. You need to look for places where you can drive a profitable jump in behavior by incentivizing or motivating that customer. Um, so it's the same principles that apply for other businesses, just executed differently to meet the needs of subscription businesses and the costs in a completely digital environment.